0: so far in this podcast series we have surveyed the traditional rabbinic sources on Torah reading and we found that they give plenty of scope for a community either to permit Torah reading by women or to forbid it. The question is not a halachic question, it's a question in the words of Rabbi Henkin of consensus and it's a question of ethos and purpose. However we haven't yet addressed a question of whether women should be included in the community of Torah readers and what The traditional rabbinic sources have to say about this philosophical question. That however will be the subject of today's podcast and we'll begin in the Gemara in Megillah with a series of statements which make it clear that public Torah reading is not some kind of instrumental ritual Public Torah reading is representative in some way of engagement with Torah as a whole and actually engagement of the whole of the community of Israel with Torah. And the Gemara begins by talking about the three readers. B'sheni chamishi b'shabat b'mindcha korin shlosha. On Mondays and Thursdays and Shabbat afternoons, three people read. Hani kneged mi. What do these three readers correspond to? And Rav Asi says they correspond to Torah, prophets and writings. Torah Rava says they correspond to priests, Levites and Israel. Israelites, kahanim, Leviim v'israelim. Rav Shimi comes in and he says, you know, these three readers who read, they have to read a minimum of ten verses. What do these ten verses correspond to? Rabbi Hoshua ben Levi said they correspond to the ten idlers, asarab butlanim, Knesset. Apparently, in the time of the Talmud, they had 10 guys who would hang around in case a minyan had to be made up. These are the 10 idlers. The 10 guys hanging around, they represent in some way the 10 verses that are read. Rabbi Yosef said they correspond to the 10 commandments that were spoken to Moshe at Sinai. Rabbi Levi said they correspond to the 10 praises that David said, King David said, in the book of Psalms. And Rabbi Yochanan said they correspond to the ten utterances with which the world was created. Now, none of these statements are halachic statements. These are, this is agadah. But the sense we get from these statements is that Torah reading, public Torah reading, is connected in some way to the whole of the creation of the world, to the Torah, and to the people of Israel. And the Rosh, Rabbi Asher ben Yechiel, in his comments on Masachet Barachot, which we brought in one of the first editions, one of the first episodes of this podcast, when he explained why a child or a slave or a woman who was not included in the command to study Torah could nevertheless be included among the seven called up on Shabbat. And he, at a technical level, he said, look, it's because the Sefer Torah is to be heard. But then he went on to explain, Uvracha ena The bracha isn't a bracha in vain. We're not, it's not a waste of a bracha. Because we don't say, Asher kidushan lub mitzvotah. We don't say who has commanded us regarding words of Torah, but instead, Asher Bachabanu and Asher Natanlanu, who has chosen us and who has given us. It seems, according to the Rosh, that children and women and slaves, even if they are not commanded to study Torah, even if they are not among the community of those who are commanded, they do belong to the community of those who are chosen and those who've received the gift of Torah. So to that extent, they stand within the community of those who are connected to the study of Torah and, to, of course, to public Torah reading. Now, this view of the Rosh is not universal. And it reminds me of a classic dispute in the Mishnah in Sota about whether a person should teach Torah to his daughters, to his female children. Now Sota is not the most feminist of the tot It describes a ritual which itself is, is outlined in Sefer B'midbar in the book of Numbers in the fifth chapter. A husband whose suspicious who's jealous of his wife or suspicious of his wife, can ask her to drink a special mixture of water that's made up in the Beit Dush. It's got dust from the floor of the temple. There is ink from a scroll dissolved into it. And the Mishnah says that after she drinks this water, if she has been unfaithful to her husband, she dies. And the Mishnah begins by saying, this happens immediately in the Mishnah in Sota, in the third chapter. Just immediately, as soon as she's drunk, her face goes green, her eyes bulge, her veins protrude. They say, get around, get around, before she makes the temple courtyard tummy this is what happens in theory but the Mishnah seems to know that the process doesn't always like work like that because it goes on to say if she had merit then this would defer it in other words some women would drink the water some women who knew they were guilty would drink the water, but they would not die. And the Mishnah explains this. Today, we might explain it by saying, look, the physical, the, maybe the physical process lacked integrity because there was nothing poisonous in this water. But the Mishnah explains it in a moral sense. If she had merit, this would defer the punishment. Some merits would defer the punishment for a year, some for two years, some for three years. And the Mishnah continues, for this reason, Ben Azai said, A person is obliged to teach his daughter Torah so that if she drank, she would know that the merit had deferred her death. Benazai is sensitive to the feelings and the thoughts of a person who knew she was guilty but drank the water and nevertheless survived. He's sensitive to the idea that she might come to doubt the whole of the structure of Torah and Mitzvot. And so he says person is obliged to teach his daughter Torah so that she would know that the merit deferred her death. Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer disagrees. He says someone who teaches his daughter Torah is teaching her to sleep around. It's a shocking statement. We'll see in a minute. The Gemara is really surprised by this statement. But that's what he says. Someone who teaches his daughter Torah is teaching her to sleep around. Ben Azai says someone must teach his daughter Torah so that if she goes through this terrible process, she knows what's going on. Rabbi Eliezer says someone who teaches his daughter to rise teaching her promiscuity and rabbi Hoshua then concludes the mishnah by saying a woman would rather have a monthly income of one cub, that's one cub of grain and plenty of sex than nine cubs, and chastity the mishnah is then is taken apart a little bit by the gemara the gemara says which is perhaps you could translate as something like you know let your head fall off how can you say that teaching a, a, your daughter to rise teaching her to sleep around let me say as if teaching her promiscuity it, the Gamara tries to soften Rabbi Eliezer's words and Rabbi Abahu then gives Rabbi Eliezer's reasoning he quotes Proverbs I, wisdom, live in guile. Ani chokhma or I wisdom, live in guile. Vidat mizimot emtsa. Knowledge of deception I find out. And the Gemara says, In the name of Rabbi who as soon as wisdom came to mankind, so did deception. In other words, for Benazai... Torah is protective. A woman going out into the world needs to have Torah. For Rabbi Eliezer, Torah is destructive. Teaching a woman Torah encourages her to go to go off the rails in some way. And lest you think that this is um this statement of Rabbi Eliezer is is an aberration we notice that he says exactly he says a, he makes a parallel saying in the parallel um, discussion in the Yerushalmi in Sota a lady asks Rabbi Eliezer why did the people of the golden calf although their sin was the same die in three separate ways and we should note by the way that this is a deep question because the, the Peshat, the plain text Of the Torah in Kittisa in the book of Exodus only mentions two ways in which the people of the golden calf died. There's a midrash suggesting they died in three ways so this woman seems to know the midrash she doesn't she not only knows Torah but she knows midrash. How does Rabbi Eliezer reply to this wise woman? He said to her the wisdom of a woman is only in her distaff his son then objected he said by not replying to her this must have been a rich woman as well as a wise woman by not replying to her with a word of Torah you've lost me 300 kor of macer every year 300 kor is about 120 cubic meters it's a vast quantity of grain you've lost me a vast quantity of income every year and Rabbi Eliezer responds let words of Torah be burnt rather than be transmitted to women now today many of us would find these exchanges slightly shocking and yet if we step back we might notice that this dispute between Rabbi Eliezer and Ben Azai is played out to a certain extent in some of today's Jewish communities so there are communities we might consider perhaps we might give them the label of modern orthodox that do educate their daughters the Maimonides school in Boston for example under the supervision of Rabbi Soloveitchik is a famous example it has equal it has the same curriculum in Jewish studies both for boys and for girls so there are Jewish communities that educate their girls to a high standard, but there are also communities, perhaps particularly Haredi communities, which do not educate their girls, and which do not send their girls out into the world. And you know they may, you know they may teach girls chumash without teaching them Gemara Mishnah. They may teach them halakha without giving them necessarily shu'chan aruch, and commentaries. They may teach their girls a minimal quantity of Torah to allow them to perform mitzvot that they need to perform, but without giving them a full Torah education that will be considered normal in a modern orthodox community. So this, this, this tension between Ben Azai and Rabbi Eliezer is Torah protective something that we need as we go out into the world or is it dangerous is it something we need to keep our girls away from this tension plays itself out in modern communities today. What about in the codes? It's very interesting that Maimonides the Rambam rules according to Rabbi Eliezer although He cannot quite translate Rabbi Eliezer in the way that he cannot quite reproduce Rabbi Eliezer's words in his code. And he translates them in a way that takes some of the sting away from them. He suggests that we don't teach women because they have, because their intellectual powers are, are not as strong as men and i think today you know we'd find that statement of maimonides very odd and certainly out of line with everything we know about biology and physiology but maimonides was influenced by the greek philosophers and by aristotle who had a very strong view of women's intellectual inferiority and perhaps maimonides was influenced by the greeks as well as by the fact that Rabbi Eliezer's words as they are given in the Mishnah and the Gemara are, are really um are unacceptable to reproduce in a in a you know in a work like the Mishneh Torah. So Maimonides rules according to Rabbi Eliezer but he deliberately mistranslates Rabbi Eliezer. However this is not the last word. And while Maimonides is criticized for his views on women's education. He is also a universalist. And it's interesting that in the beginning of his code, as he goes through Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah, the laws that Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah means the laws of the foundations of the Torah, the basic commandments. He begins by outlining five crucial commandments to believe in God and his unity, to love and to fear God and to worship him. And he calls these commandments the Pardes, the orchard. They, by the way, are incumbent on all of Israel, men and women. And he says in the fourth chapter of Hilchot Yisodeha Torah, Having outlined these commandments, he says, only a person who's already filled their stomach with bread and meat should journey into the orchard. This bread and meat is to know what is ha'asur vehamutar This bread and meat is to know what is permitted and what is forbidden and their ramifications from the other commandments. The P Shedvarim Eilu Katan Karuotam Chachamim. And even though the sages call these things small, because they thought that the divine chariot, the philosophical stuff that you know the vision of Ezekiel describes was a great matter. And the arguments of Abya and Rava were small things. The arguments of Abaya and Rava are the Talmud. The Talmud is small compared to Ma'aseh Merkava, the philosophy of the divine chariot. Even that, But these small things should have precedence. Shehen miyashvind ator shel adam, because they settle a person's mind. Maimonides here uses the word adam. It's a gender neutral word for person. And they're the greatest goodness that the Holy One bestowed on this world in order to inherit the next one. And then he concludes, the Efshar, Aim, Hako. Everybody can know them. He's referring now to the arguments of Abayah and Rabbah, to the Mitzvot, to the Talmud, to the Gemara and to the Mishnah. Everybody can know them. Adult and child, man and woman, someone with a profound intellect. Baal, Lev, Rachav. And someone with a shallower one, Uval Lev Katsar. For Maimonides, the basics of Torah, and he includes here all Halacha, essentially, the discussion of Abai and Ravah, the basics of, of, of Halacha are available to everybody: Gadol, Ve Katam, Ish, Ve Isha. Man and woman, adult, and child. And that is what we see, by the way. When we look at early Torah reading, the first historical Torah reading that we can find is described in the book of Nehemiah. This is the book of the return from exile from Babylon. Ezra the scribe returns. He, finds he returns from Babylon to Jerusalem. He actually finds the community in Jerusalem in a terrible state. They're no longer keeping mitzvot. They're no longer keeping chagim. They have intermarried with the local Canaanites. But they, they want to hear Torah. They assemble in the square of Jerusalem before the water gate. And they ask him to bring the scroll of the Torah, which the God has commanded Israel with. So we're in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah. And on the first day of the seventh month, this is Rosh Hashanah. He brings the Torah before the congregation. And the text there says, Me'ish ve'ad isha. He reads before the whole congregation, men and women, all who could listen and understand. And the text says, He read from it, facing the square before the water gate. Ad machzit ha-yom, from first light until noon. Neged ha'anashim ve'hanashim ve'hamuvinim ve'oznei chol'am, to the men and the women and those who could understand. Kol ha'am el sefer ha-Torah. All the people were listening to to the sefer Torah, to the scroll of Torah that's our first historical discussion of Kriata Torah of public Torah reading and everybody is involved everybody who, are, who could understand is involved the men and the women and those who could understand and that idea that everybody is involved is brought midrashically in the Talmud in Baba Babakama the Talmud picks up from the story of the crossing of the Red Sea it's a famous story the people cross the Red Sea and then they walk three days in the desert and they find no water they come to Mara. they can't drink the waters of Marah because the water is bitter that's why it was called Mara. and then the people complain the people murmur against Moshe saying what shall we drink so the text then says, El Hashem." Moses called out unto the Lord. This is in um, the book of Shmot, chapter fifteen. He calls out to the Lord, "Vayorehu Hashem Ets," and the Lord shows him a tree. Hashem shows him a tree, which he throws into the water, and the water is made sweet. "Sham sam nisahu." The tree is thrown into the water the water is made sweet and there he teaches them Chok or Mishpat statute and ordinance and you can understand that the Gemara when looking at these verses notices that all of these words are emblematic of Torah the tree the water which is made sweet the Chok and the Mishpat And so the Talbot asks, we're in Baba Kama now, page 82a. They went for three days in the desert and they found no water. And the Dorshei Roshul Mot, the interpreter said, water, this water must refer to Torah, as it says in the book of Isaiah. Anybody who is thirsty, Go to water, because they'd walked for three days without Torah. They were exhausted. We're not talking about physical water here. We're talking about Torah. They'd gone for three days without Torah, and they were exhausted. And then, the shebenehem vetik the prophets among them stood up and decreed, Shehu that they'd read the Torah on Shabbat. And then on Monday and then on Thursday, so that three days should not go by without Torah. Because we know you can go for one day without water and you can, you'll be a bit uncomfortable. You can go for two days without water and you can just about survive. You go for three days without water and you may die. And it's the same with Torah. You can't go for three days without Torah. You'll die. That's why we read the Torah on Mondays, and Thursdays and on Shabbatot. And when we think about this explanation from the Talmud. About the source of public Torah reading. We can see that for the sage of the Talmud. Torah reading is a necessity for life. It's not connected to a particular mitzvah. It's a necessity for life and of course as a necessity for life it is the property of the entire people of israel as maimonides says sheida hakol everybody can know it gadol vekatan ish rachav uval lev everybody can know it adult and child man and woman someone with a profound intellect as well as someone with a shallower one.